Good morning and welcome to our service today. Uh, we're really looking forward to what God has for us through the service. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Matt and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Arendelle Lynch Church. And it is my honor and privilege to welcome our new lead pastor. Uh, Jordan Green has come as of today to be our new lead pastor. And he is starting today and he will be bringing the message in just a little while. So Jordan, I want to welcome you to Arendelle Lynch Church. I want to welcome you to our, be our lead pastor. Uh, we are so excited to see how God uses you to challenge and encourage and change us as, as Christians and as a church. Uh, I also want to welcome Dorothy and Michael and Kathy. Thank you so much for coming, for moving your home from the beautiful mountains of BC to the flat prairie lands of Saskatchewan. That is a hard uh, pill to swallow, but we're so glad you're here, and hopefully you enjoy the sunshine, because that's something that, that we have that BC does not have, um, at least not in the same amount. It might be warmer there, but we get more sun. So welcome. Uh, enough about that. Uh, welcome. We're so excited to have you join our family, and uh, we're really looking forward to see how you as a family change and impact us, and how we as a church will change and impact you uh, for the glory of God. So welcome, and we're excited to have you here. Uh, there's not any announcements today that I'm going to say other than please read the, the e-bulletin. Every Thursday we send it out, and on the e-bulletin it's, it's filled with information uh, that, that we want you to have, including current needs in the congregational prayer needs. Uh, it's filled with, with different things like what's going on in our church, the different ministries that's still happening, and also it explains how you can tithe still. Uh, and those are all very important for uh, this church to keep going, uh, even despite this kind of being in isolation time, we need to continue to be the church, continue to support each other, and continue to support the ministry that God is doing through this church. So, uh, yeah, that's the only announcement I have. Uh, we're going to move to a time of prayer, and like I did last time, we're going to do this just a little differently. I'm just going to, to open up this time of prayer. And then I, I'd ask you to pause it. Uh, as soon as I'm done praying, pause it. Because I, I want you to join me and the rest of the church together in prayer. So pause this video once I'm done praying. And pray for something on the e-bulletin. The, the back page, the last page of the e-bulletin is our prayer needs. So take a look at that. Uh, just read over the prayer needs and then pray for a couple of them. Maybe a couple of the churches, maybe a couple of the international workers that we're praying for this week. Uh, whatever the, the Spirit's directing you to pray for, pray for that. And then once you and your family are done praying, resume the video and it'll move on to a time of worship. Uh, so I'm just going to open us up in a time of prayer. So bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us at every moment. Thank you for being with us as a church through all the ups and downs that we've had over the, the last while. And Lord, thank you so much for bringing the Greens here today to be a part of this family. Lord, we are looking forward to the ways in which they will impact us. And we ask, Lord, that you will give us a joyful, gracious heart towards the new things that will happen, toward the changes that will take place, and also towards the things that will stay the same. Lord, that you will continue to direct 
Jorn and the elders, the staff, as to how to move this church forward, but also, Lord, uh, give us wisdom in changes to make. Lord God, I ask that you bless the Green family and that you encourage them at this time right now. And I pray, Lord, that as we move to a time of praying as a, as a body, that you will align our spirits with you, align our soul with you and your will. May we pray only that which is pleasing to you. And Lord God, may we pray boldly, knowing you hear us and that you want to answer our prayers. Lord God, we look forward to the ways in which you're going to use us to minister to this city, us to minister to our friends and family. And so, Lord God, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for the honor it is that we get to be a part of your ministry to this world. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to reveal the part that we all individually play to make the, this church of Arendelle uh, the body of Christ. Listen to our prayers, Lord God, and hear us. And may all of our prayers be a pleasing aroma to you. I ask now that you take a moment to pray. Pray for whatever is on your mind. Pause the video now and pray for someone on the back of the prayer page. Good morning. Today is the uh, first Sunday in May, and it's good to be gathering together. It's a Sunday we've been waiting for because uh, spring is uh, closer and closer, and the month of May kind of marks that. And it's also a Sunday where we have our first Sunday with Pastor Joran, and so that's uh, pretty awesome and something to look forward to this morning. And of course, it's, uh, it's a time in which we're waiting. We're waiting for this uh, COVID-19 thing of uh, physical distancing to be over, and we're we're waiting on the Lord as well. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This morning, some of our songs will, will speak about waiting. They'll speak about looking. To God, our Father. They'll speak about remembering to lay down our burdens, those things that are on our hearts. They'll speak about continuing to wait on the Lord and, uh, and trust that He meets us and He provides for our needs. And with that, we want to join together in worship, and I hope that you can join us as we do.
next two songs that we're going to sing, you may notice, uh, were recorded at a different time in our week. We sent them as an encouragement to our friend whose husband was in his last days. Uh, the first one you'll definitely be able to sing along on. It's a well-known hymn and a favorite. The second one you're welcome to view as a special number. Child, my child. 
Church, I'm going to read Acts 1, 9 to 26. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white clothes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here, looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alpha's son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son. 
how were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. A replacement for Jews. During this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture that the Holy Spirit announced beforehand through David had to be fulfilled. This was the scripture concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This happened even though he was one of us and received a share of this ministry. In fact, he bought a field with the payment he received for his injustice. Falling head first, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines spilled out. This became known to everyone living in Jerusalem. So they called that field in their own language, Hakeldama, or field of blood. It is written in the Psalm scroll. Let his home become deserted and let there be no one living in it. And give his position of leadership to another. Therefore, we must select one of those who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus lived among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken from us. This person must become along with us a witnesses of his resurrection. So they nominated two, Joseph called Persabas, who was also known as Justus and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's deepest thoughts and desires. Show us clearly which one you have chosen from among these two to take place of this ministry and apostleships, from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. When they cast lots, the lot fell on Matthias. He added to the eleven apostles. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for today's service. My name is Pastor Joran Green. For those of you who I have not yet met, I am the new lead pastor here at Arendelle Alliance Church. We are so thankful to be here. God, in his grace and mercy, has brought us through safe and sound. We're so excited to be living. We're about 700 meters up the road from the church, just on Kenderdine. And uh, as restrictions ease and as the opportunity allows, we are looking forward in this new season to getting to know our new church family. Dorothy's excited to be here. We have found our, our condo. We're mostly unpacked, still some things to be done, so we need to get some pictures up on the wall. Michael and Catherine will be living with us for the summer. The plan is for at least Michael to be at camp. Catherine's still considering her options as she completes grade 12 in this COVID season where she's forced to be at home. And we're just, frankly, we're excited to be here. The Miller College year ended very, very abruptly, but we saw God's grace and God's mercy in it. It wasn't ideal. It was surprising. 2.30 in the afternoon, I was in class, called into a meeting, and by 3 o'clock, we were told we were done that day. And yet, even in that, God's grace and mercy, as the school year came to a conclusion, we were able to celebrate as a school family. It's not what we planned. It's maybe not what some would have hoped for, and yet God has seen fit to bless the season. Just as he's blessing the season for us now as a church, even though we can't connect directly and physically eye to eye over a cup of coffee right now, but we anticipate when those days will return. But even in this season, we can still fellowship by distance, by video. We can still pray for one another. We can still talk with one another. I've just been introduced to a wonderful tool called Zoom. And I, I'm, a, I'm a tech guy, so I've been on FaceTime and I've used Skype and various other tools over the years. It's a new season. 
and we're seeking God's will and God's leading as we do the best that we can to honor the government in place, to listen to what wise counsel says with medical restrictions and, and how to best protect those that we love and protect those that we're coming into contact with and to live life in what is a very unusual circumstance. The question I'm getting a lot right now is what's it like to pastor in the middle of a COVID crisis? Ask me that in another month. We've been here just a few days and it is very different. I haven't been a pastor in a number of years, but we've been in the church this our, our entire time at the college but these are different days and there is no, no clear sense of what is normal, what should this look like. But thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your leading. We're discussing as an elders board how to move forward. We as a staff are concerned and, and praying and seeking wise counsel on how best to minister to the needs of our congregation and how best to invite you to participate with us as a church. This morning, we're going to gather around the word of God. Before we do, just to prep you, we will be doing communion in a few weeks time and I'll remind us in the next couple of weeks to uh, prepare us for that. We're going to do communion in our own homes. And so in preparation for it, it would be ideal to have some crackers, preferably something maybe without leaven, saltines. If you like my girls in my house who can't have leaven, there's, uh, or I'm sorry, cannot have wheat, there's unleavened gluten-free options that you can use and something along the lines of grape juice. And we're actually going to celebrate communion as a church family, in our own homes, in a few weeks' time. So you can be preparing for that. As we go to prayer, as we begin to start this morning's service, our sermon, I want to consider the question, how do we discern God's will? This is particularly relevant in the middle of a COVID crisis, where we're trying to determine what is the new normal for us? How are we to act? What are we supposed to be doing? Where do we put our time? What do relationships look like? In this current season, what priorities should we be adjusting in this current season? Do we go ahead with this? Do we hold back on that? Where do we invest ourselves? And as we consider this question of how, how do we be the church? What is expected of us as the body of Jesus Christ? I want to consider that through the lens of Acts chapter 1. And we're going to spend the next number of months, probably maybe a little longer even, maybe closer to about a year, in the book of Acts, asking the question, what has God done in the early days of the church that he wants us to continue to do? Where can we see the early days of the church start and things then grow and develop into new patterns that we have? Are there old patterns we've forgotten we need to return to? We want to look at what has God's grace and mercy been like in that first century church and ask, what does that mean for us as 21st century believers in Saskatchewan, in Saskatoon, in the Arendelle district, or wherever you're watching, possibly around the world. So as we consider the question this morning of what is it that God wants us to do as a church, and specifically this morning, I want to consider the question, how do we make decisions? How do we make choices? How do we decide what we're going to do? Let's bow in prayer as we consider this. Gracious God, we invite you to come and to meet us wherever we are. Lord, we're thankful for your grace and mercy that in a season where it feels like our world is in crisis, you are not caught unaware, you are not surprised, and that your grace and mercy is still evident. Lord God, thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God. Lord Jesus, thank you that not only you gave us the cross and redemption and forgiveness, but you've given us your spirit, you've given us your very presence. 
and that you've not left us nor forsaken us. Guide us in this season. We look to you for leading. As we look into your word this morning, would you guide our hearts and instruct us in what you would have us to see and to hear and to know. Guide us in all truth, Holy Spirit. Be glorified, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to consider today, how do we make decisions in the church? There there have been numerous times in my life where I've been confronted with a very serious decision that I needed to make. One of the very first that I really remember as an adult, where would I go to Bible college? Partway through Bible college, the question came, what am I going to do with my life? That question had already begun when I was in high school, and the idea that I might pursue ministry was something God laid on my heart in my mid-teens. But at 18, 19, 20, as I was studying the Word of God at Canadian Bible College, the, the question of what is my life going to look like became much more relevant And the need to figure out how does God speak, how does God lead, how does God guide in our decision-making process. Partway through Bible school, of course, the question became, who would God have me to marry? And again, how do we make those decisions? Having worked with 18 to 20-year-olds for the last 17 years, those questions of what does God want with my life and who should I spend my life with are questions that get asked all the time. When we consider a church like Arendelle, We maybe don't ask the question, who should I marry? Because the church doesn't marry someone. But we ask questions as a congregational family. What emphasis are we going to place? What people groups are we called to reach out to? Who should be our missionaries? And how do we support them? Where are we going to spend our finances? What do we want our Sunday morning worship service to look like? What elements do we incorporate? How do we express what it is that God is doing among us? These are important questions. And as we look at Acts chapter 1, we begin to get at least an early idea of where Israel had been and where the disciples were at. And it's going to change as we study the book of Acts over the next coming months. We're going to see some shifts happening. The decision-making process in Acts chapter 1 isn't actually the one that they're going to use later. But it guides us into what is important. It's going to help us to understand when the changes happen, why they happen, and kind of point us in a direction of how do we discern the will of God? I think this is such an important question. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 9. I work from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It's a translation I was put on to a number of years ago. There's some great translations out there if you ever want to talk to me about how and why I landed where I did. I'd love to have that conversation. I'm fascinated by Bible translations and the different approaches that we take. But for me personally, that's what I'll typically be using in the pulpit if you want to follow along. And let's consider, before we get to decision making, let's consider something we need in our perspective on the Christian life that Luke gives us here in the start of Acts chapter 1 where we read. After he had said this, that's talking of Jesus, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And this doesn't fit, in a sense, with what we're talking about, because it doesn't tell us how to discern God's will, but it is completely relevant Because it reminds us of a fundamental truth. Jesus Christ is coming back. God has not abandoned us. He's not forgotten us. Jesus has a plan. The Father sent him by his will and his purpose 
to earth to die for our sins on the cross. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father, coming to earth, dying on the cross for our sins and raising again. And we see here this promise, as he left, he will come again. And this needs to inform all of our decision making. Because we're not making a decision for today. We're not making a decision for tomorrow. Our decision making is always informed as a church by eternity. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's who he said he was, the son of God. When he said, I love you and I will never leave you nor forsake you, he meant it. And we have the commitment here, the promise here. He is coming back. And so when we're making decisions as a church, we need to keep this promise first and foremost. We always make our decisions with eternity in mind. This life can seem so overwhelming. There are days where I catch myself just feeling the flood of emotions as I'm reading the news and seeing what's happening in the world, as I'm dealing with my own problems and my own challenges in life. And I come back to this in the reminder, this perspective, this eternal perspective. Christ will return. God will be glorified. God will win. And so any decision that we make is made with this eternal perspective in mind. So as we're considering this question, how do we make decisions? What is it that we need to be doing to discern the will of God? Let's never lose sight that God loves us, that God has our future guaranteed. Our future is certain, and we do not need to be afraid. So with this in mind, as we move through this text, we discover some interesting things. In the aftermath of Jesus' ascension, the disciples are there and they've, they've watched Jesus fly through the clouds and they've seen the angels come and announce his second coming. They now have to engage with everyday life again. And I, I think part of the reason that Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover, my, my personal speculation is there's probably a sense where the disciples needed a little bit of a break after the miracles and the ministry of Christ and the trauma of the cross, and we talk about how traumatic it must have been for the disciples to see their Lord and Master die, how much more traumatic it was for he who knew no sin to become sin. After watching the dead raised and the blind given sight, the lepers cleansed with a touch, they now have this this kind of a little bit of a reprieve. And it's in this season between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus in the days after Passover, and we don't know exactly how long that period was until what we're going to see in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. We have this reprieve, this, this season where the disciples are figuring out life. Everything they knew was turned on its head, kind of like what we're living in a little bit right now. They're following Jesus, the Lord and Master, and now he's gone. He's been taken to heaven. And he said, wait in Jerusalem. And now they're waiting. And it's in this season that they're still continuing to get together. They're still meeting. And in fact, Luke goes on and gives us the list. Who is it that's gathering together? We see this starting in verse 12. They return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It's about 200 meters. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphonse, Simon, the zealot, And Judas, the son of James, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And we find in the days between the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples continue to meet together primarily for prayer. And it's interesting because 
when I candidated, I actually jumped ahead. I was in Acts chapter 2. After the Spirit comes and the church begins, we find prayer is still the central component of what they did. Prayer has never ceased to be an absolutely vital part of our life and our ministry as the church of Jesus Christ. We're in a season where we can't meet together face to face. For a lot of us, we're in a season where we've got a little bit more time. One of the blessings of this season for some of my colleagues and I has been greater time to focus on prayer. The, the busyness of life has kind of been forced to stop. The, the voices have been kind of forced to stop. The, the regular busyness of life has been minimized. And it's interesting, in these days between Ascension and Pentecost, we find prayer. And we're in a great season right now for a church to be a praying church. And that needs to be part of our DNA, part of our ethos. We are called to be a people of prayer. But in particular right now, we just have this, this extra measure and grace of time to be focused in prayer. I find the list who, that, that describes whose presence so fascinating. We're not surprised that the disciples, and of course, Peter's always named first. Typically, it's Peter, James, John, that inner circle of three disciples. We have the rest of the disciples named. Then we also have the mention of the women. And it's been a little debated, who are these women who are present? And and there's probably two possibilities, and they're not mutually exclusive. It's possible it's actually both. The women could include women like Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary Magdalene. It's also quite possible if we were to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes mention of the fact the apostles travel with their wives, and there's a good possibility for the married apostles at this time, men like Peter, who had a mother-in-law, as we see in Matthew's gospel, Their wives are believers along with the husbands. And so the apostles are doing ministry with their wives. So we don't know if it's the wives of the apostles or this group of women who've been following Jesus, like Mary, Martha, and the other Mary. In in the end, it doesn't really change our text except to remind us that this, this experience of Christ, of prayer, is inviting all of God's people together into prayer. Interestingly, we also find Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's there. She has joined the disciples. She believes her own son is God. She believes her own son is who he claimed to be and his brothers. This is a fairly significant term because if we were to go to John's gospel, in John chapter 7 verse 5, John records for us that at that time, John 7, and in the context of John 7, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. And yet later on we're going to meet James. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, James is going to be a very significant voice. James is the half-brother of Jesus. They share a mother, but they don't share a father. Because, of course, Jesus' father is God the Father. James's father presumably is Joseph. Uh, we don't know when he dies. We don't know what happens to him. Very little is said, but the assumption is that they're half-brothers. And also uh, Jude, who then writes the book of Jude. Those two are called out by name. Jesus' half-brothers would have grown up with Jesus and now believe their own brother is God, which for me is a great, great example of how we know Jesus truly is not just the Son of God, but is fully God himself. His own brothers worship him. So profound that these men who grew up and early on didn't believe, who watched what their brother did with probably with some confusion, are now gathered with the apostles in prayer, waiting on what it is that their half-brother has for them. And so we're seeing God's people gathered together in prayer, waiting. And it's in this context that there is a problem identified by Peter and the apostles. 
As they're gathered in prayer, God begins to lay it on their hearts, presumably, or maybe as they're studying scripture, it's just brought to mind. We're not sure what it's like in this season for them prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit exactly. But it's in the season that Peter and the apostles recognize there is a problem, and that is they're missing someone. Twelve were called to be apostles. Why twelve? Twelve apostles, twelve patriarchs. And they recognize we need to replace Judas Iscariot from among our number. So with this in mind, what Peter and the disciples recognize is the need for a twelfth man. And I found that kind of interesting given being back in Saskatchewan, and I hear discussion of the 13th man, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Well, the apostles recognized that the intent was that there would be 12 of them. In fact, Peter stands up, and he is the one who says, starting verse 15, In those days, Peter says to the brothers and sisters, and the number who were there were about 120, Brothers and sisters, it is necessary that the scriptures be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And in fact, he goes on and Luke gives us a little bit of history of what happened to Judas in the aftermath of the betrayal. And you can read that for yourself. And Peter begins to unpack a little bit of this idea that Judas's betrayal was not a surprise to the father. That was known, and we see this in Jesus' ministry, where Jesus recognizes, one of you will betray me, and he knew it was Judas. This is so profound to me, because this was the circle of men he was closest to, traveled with them two, three, maybe four years. We're not exactly certain the timeline. But they traveled the countryside. They were traveling through Galilee. There was opposition. There was blessing. Judas ate, them, ate, ate the, the fish and the bread. At the feeding of the 5,000. He would have been there in the boat when the storm came up. And Jesus came out walking on the water. This is the same Judas who would then betray Jesus. And Jesus knew all along. And yet he loved him anyway. And he still had him as a disciple. Well, Peter and the disciples recognize now he needs to be replaced. In fact, they quote two passages. Peter does. He quotes both Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 in verse 20 to remind us. And where he says, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and then let someone else take his position. And it's interesting that in reading scripture, Peter and the other apostles have come to recognize that God was saying something to them. Hundreds of years later, David's been dead a thousand years at this point. The Psalms are a thousand years old. And yet they recognize that God, in his grace and in his mercy, has spoken to them and given them instruction they read the word of God, they understand the word of God, and they now choose to act on the word of God. We need to replace Judas. And it's interesting because we've been told here, there's 120 that are involved in this decision. We, we think of Jesus' disciples as only being 12, but there's actually a, a series of groups. There's the 12 apostles who he's closest to. He calls them disciples during his ministry. And after Acts 2, we call them the apostles, the sent ones. There's this broader circle of 120 who follow Jesus closely. Then we know that there's a, a broader circle than that of about 500 who are following Jesus fairly closely as well. Well, it's in this group of 120, Peter and the disciples recognize we've got to replace Judas. How are we going to do it? And they actually lay out some criteria here that we see. Verse 21, therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken from us. From among those, it is necessary that one become a witness of us to 
his resurrection. Central to replacing Judas, we need someone who can testify that Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected. Paul will go on and write about this in 1 Corinthians 15, and he will place strong emphasis. He'll say, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. First importance. Christ was dead, was buried, was resurrected. Here in Acts chapter 1, we cannot escape Jesus' incarnation. He who was fully God, now becomes fully God and fully man, lives among us, dies for our sins, is buried, is truly dead, and the Father restores him, resurrects him to life. And he ascends and is currently seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The gospel, the essence of the gospel, Jesus dying for our sins and resurrecting again to the glory of God, is here all through Acts chapter 1, central to our identity as the church, central to our decision-making process. And what we see here is the disciples trying to determine, what is the will of God for us right now? What is the will of God for us in the aftermath of the ascension? They had some tough choices to make, just as we have tough choices to make. And interestingly, they turn to Scripture. And then they look and lay out the criteria. He must have been there for the teaching, for the baptism, but also the ascension. He can be a testifier to the resurrected Christ. They put forward two names. Joseph, called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and also Matthias. They have a group of men, presumably, they could have nominated these two rise to the forefront. They don't know which of the two, and, and it begs the question, what do we do when we have two great options? How do we discern the will of God? They had two great choices. And what is it that the disciples finally do here? Well, we see it at the end of chapter 2, verse 26. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. So what do we do with this? How do we understand this as a decision-making model for us in the church today? I want to make a couple of observations. First, just as we do today, the early church identified that there was a problem. They identified what the problem is. In their case, they identified the problem is we need 12 apostles. There's only 11 of us. We need a 12th. For us as a church, sometimes one of our challenges, for us as, as believers, sometimes the challenge is we know there's a problem. We're not actually sure what it is. I've been struck in different times in talking to various people where they'd sit down, they go, I feel like I need to talk to you. We begin to talk. And at the end of the conversation, the light comes on and they realize, oh, I understand now. I remember at one point I was meeting with someone uh, when we were still living in Southern Saskatchewan, just processing some of my own spiritual baggage. And I was shocked to realize how often I didn't even know what the problem was until I could verbalize it, talk about it, get it out on the table, and then begin to move through the process of addressing the problems. The early church recognized what the problem is. There's a challenge for us here as believers and as a church to stop and consider what are the challenges we're facing? What are the things that we need to do? In this COVID season, what are our challenges? There's some challenges we don't have any choice or say in. The government has placed restrictions. The government has has laid out law and expectations of here's how we're going to act and here's what's going to happen. Here's how groups can meet. Here's how groups can't meet. Those problems are beyond our solve. But within that, there are other opportunities that we're given. For us as individuals, what are the challenges God's calling us to face? Have we actually stopped and really considered 
What is it that we need to be about? I'm struck at how often I get frustrated or get confused or, or I just feel unsettled in my soul because I haven't actually stopped and asked, what is wrong? What's going on? And taken that moment, just even pause to begin to consider what needs to be addressed. So the early church first identifies what is the problem. The second thing that they do once the problem is identified is they begin to discuss what are we going to do about it. We have Peter here as our lead spokesman in Acts chapter 1 talking on behalf of the apostles and we have the 120 there meeting and they consider what are we going to do? How are we going to approach this? Brainstorming is great. Some of you are wired like I am. I tend to process out loud. I like to bounce ideas off of others, hear their input and give them my input. And out of two, three, five, eight of us dialoguing around an issue, coming to kind of some sense of here's what the issue is and here are some possible ways of solving it. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to serve in, in a number of capacities on a number of committees. And I'm so thankful for that. And I've watched time and again where as people come together in the name of Jesus and dialogue and talk, wisdom is shared and, and God takes and, and blesses those conversations. We need to have those. We need to invite people into our personal journey. When I know things are unsettled in my soul, it's a flag. I need to talk to somebody. I often talk to my wife, Dorothy, who is very, very wise. I have godly friends and mentors that God has gifted me with. I'm so thankful for a church like Arendale and for a board to serve with where I can lay things out and we can dialogue around them, begin to understand what is the problem and consider how might we solve it. That's on a personal level, but we also do the same thing as a church. On a, on a communal level as well. I also love the fact that the early church immediately goes back to Scripture as they consider this question. Peter takes them to Psalm 69 and to Psalm 109 and recognizes that the Word of God is given to us. <clears throat> the Word of God is part of His grace and His mercy that we might know how we should live, that we might know what He expects of us. And their use of scripture to me is something that challenges us today. Because as we move through Acts, there's elements of their decision-making process that keep, but there's elements of the decision-making process that are lost. Two elements that are never lost, prayer and scripture. And for them, scripture is a central piece of what they're doing as a church. And scripture needs to be a central piece of what we're doing as individuals within the church and as a corporate body gathered around the word of God, inviting him to speak to us inviting him to guide us into all truth. Finally, we see in their decision-making process an invitation for God to guide them. Now, this is where we see a major break because this is the last occurrence in Scripture of where lots are cast. If we would go back to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And there was an expectation when they cast lots to replace Judas Iscariot that God would guide that decision and that it was God's will that Matthias would be chosen and that he would join the 12. Now, I've, I've read authors who've said that, well, they made a mistake and they should have waited for Paul. I would disagree. That's arguing something that scripture never gets into. The argument is, while well, he never writes scripture, we never hear from him directly again. We hear referenced as part of the disciples, as part of the apostles, but he's never called out by name again. But most of the disciples who become apostles that we read earlier in this message that Luke records for us, they, they're silent. We don't hear from them. 
They don't write scripture. Simon the Zealot does not write any scripture that we're aware of. Matthew writes a gospel. John writes a gospel. Peter's involved and writes his own letters. But most of the 12 are actually silent in terms of what has been preserved for us to this day. So the suggestion that Matthias shouldn't have been picked, I think is false. Paul himself talks about he's the one who's abnormally born. It was God's will and God's good pleasure to do what God has done. And there's the expectation when they cast lots, they were inviting God to guide the decision. But this is the last time lots are cast in scripture. Because in Acts chapter 2, everything's going to change. And yet, interestingly, very little changes. Everything is different because the Spirit will come and guide us into all truth, indwell our hearts so we don't need to cast lots to discern the will of God. And yet, not much has changed because the church is still devoted to fellowship, to prayer, and to the Word of God. Well, the cast lots in their final act here is just that, to act on the decision. They make Matthias one of the twelve apostles, one of the twelve disciples, and now they're moving forward with the ministry God has given them as they wait in Jerusalem according to the instruction of Jesus. He said, wait until the promised Holy Spirit comes. They're waiting. But in this season two, they're discerning God is calling them to make decisions. So let's consider our own lives for a few moments. On a personal level, what is God calling us to do? Maybe you're like me where there's times where your soul is unsettled and you know that there's a problem, but you don't know what it is. I would encourage you, find someone, talk it through and figure out, is this just the challenges of life weighing down your soul and you need to release those to the grace and mercy of God? Or are there decisions that need to be made? Are there choices that need to be made? Are there changes that need to be made? And you're unsettled because God's inviting you to move deeper, to move forward, to change. Invite a friend into this process. Invite a mentor into this process. Invite an elder in. We've got Zoom. We have so many forums now, even in this season where we can't meet face-to-face, where we can connect. Talk to someone when your soul is unsettled. For those of you who know that there's challenges facing you, I would challenge you, talk those challenges through with godly counsel. Just as we see the disciples carrying on a conversation. What are we going to do? How are we going to solve this problem? Talk about it. Consider what the Word of God is saying to you. There are are issues we're facing. Scripture doesn't speak directly to COVID, but it does speak to issues like fear. It does speak to issues like trust. It does speak to issues like what is most important in life. So consider what is Scripture saying, and then invite God into the decision-making process and commit yourself to act as God guides you in what to do. We need to do the same thing as a church. It was such a blessing this week. We tried to record our staff meeting, at least a small piece of it, to share with you as a congregation. The recording didn't quite work as planned. We'll we'll try and have something for you to invite you into what it's like here. But we're actively asking, what is God calling us to? What what are we supposed to do as Arendelle Alliance Church? What's our role as staff? The elders have committed themselves to it. In this season right now, we ask for your prayer for the nominating committee. We're going to have some turnover with our elders board at just this that natural life cycle that needs to happen. We've got ministries going on. There's always decisions to be made. Will we commit to identifying what those decisions are, what the challenges facing us are? Will we talk about them? Will we consider what Scripture's calling us to? Will we invite God to intervene? And will we step out in faith as God moves? 
And against all of this is the backdrop of an empty cross and an empty tomb. Because where we start is where we end. Jesus Christ is coming back. And the decisions we make affect eternity. They change the very nature of people's eternity. Ours and others. We're advancing the kingdom of God. This is for his honor, for his glory, as we seek his will, as we seek to be about his business. Please, in the coming days, pray for one another. Pray for yourselves. Pray for us as a church, both Arendelle Alliance and the church globally. I believe that this is an interesting season because of its challenges, but also God is giving some incredible opportunities to bless people. People are are seeking God in new, fresh ways right now because COVID's reminded them we're not as a race nearly as strong as we think we are. We don't have all the solutions. And it's forcing people to ask what is really important. We have a season right now where we can speak the truth in love, point out where the problems are, talk about their problems, take them to Scripture and show them that Jesus Christ has their eternity and it is certain and it is true and it is guaranteed by the deposit of the Holy Spirit and we can invite them in. Pray for our church as we seek where God's taking us next. Pray for one another, pray for our board and let us seek God together in this season. God loves us. He's not forsaken us. Let's enjoy the season that he's given us of quietness and of rest. Against the uncertainty, remember, Christ is in control. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your promise that you are coming back. As you left, you will return. Thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you for calling us as a church body in this season, in this life. Thank you for the gift of one another. Have your way in our hearts and in our souls. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray for us as a congregation. Would you give us the courage to be honest? Would you give us the courage to look at where we're at? Would you give us the courage to talk about what we're struggling with? To bring it before you, to consider your word and what it says about it. To invite you into the process and to act according to what you say. And Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've not left us alone. And thank you that our eternity is secure in the name of Christ. Amen. God bless you. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen. Were you?
Put your 